0: And now, ladies and gentlemen,
1: check it out. You've Got to Start Somewhere, the podcast that takes you behind the scenes of show business to prove there's no such thing as an overnight success. With your host, Rachel Corbett. Welcome to the show. Let me preface this by saying we did have about 20 minutes of chat there that wasn't recording because I didn't press the record button properly. And it was properly. good stuff too. And it was good stuff too. That is a voice you'll be very familiar with. Today's guest is uh, one of the most loved guys on Australian television. He is the host of the morning show on Channel 7. He is also the hall pass for middle aged women everywhere. <laughs> it is Mr. Larry Emder.
0: <laughs> when you say middle aged, there's like 85 plus, right? No, 95 plus. <laughs> (laughs)
1: You are very big in nursing homes, Larry. (laughs) You are huge. Um, I let's. I mean, let's just forget about all the stuff that we just spoke about before I press record. And I want to go. This show is all about the sort of early days and and getting into the career and how you went about it. And you've been on the telly for so many years. Tell me when you were little, what did you want to be when you grew up? Did you want to do media? Because you got started so long. No,
0: not at all. Not at all. I was um, bad at school. I was real. I failed everything at school and the reason for that is I would surf every day. I'd go before school and after school and sometimes during school, Mm -hmm. which led to the end (laughs) of my sort of time at school. And so then I just had to go and get a job that allowed me to surf. And that job was as a copy boy at a newspaper working overnight. A copy boy back in the day was emptying ashtrays and getting journos coffee and right, a taking broken typewriters to the typewriter mechanic. It, like, it was this crazy low-life job, but I worked from 10 o'clock at night till six in the morning, and then I would surf all day, so it, it suited me.
1: Did you basically just get, leave school? Because you left school at 15, yeah?
0: It was more of a can you leave than uh, left it was, was like it? well yeah I mean it, it, the, the uh, principal called my parents in and said look this isn't for Larry he's not he doesn't really get what we're doing here and we don't get it you know it's, it's, he's not going to be a kid that stays at school yeah. back in the day before you were born it was alright to leave <laughs> yeah. you know people would regularly leave school to um, pursue trades and stuff mm. at the age of 15 and 16 so it wasn't that out of the park as it is now Yeah, um, yeah. but it was um, but I had no interest in a trade or acquiring any skills I just wanted to go surfing so my first job was was in the media as a copy boy and that means that I'm here now but if my first job was cleaning up at Pizza Hut at Bondi then that's where I'd be. You'd be a wonderful Pizza Hut manager. Yeah I would be a great cleaner yeah. yeah, (laughs) It would be great
1: but what about your parents when when they kindly said Laz, how you go? Yeah, were I, they
0: okay with that? I think the thinking at the time was, okay, this isn't going to work for me. Or from their thinking, it's not going to work for him. He's clearly he's a dodo. <laughs> um, and both my sisters were really bright, and mm. it was clear I wasn't, you know, going to pursue an academic path. Their chat to me was, look, if you find a job, then you can leave school. So I just happened across this thing. of in fact, an auntie found it in the paper, the Sun newspaper, looking for copy boys, and it was the lo- you know, it was the lowest of the low mm. jobs, but it didn't matter to me. It was like, okay, that's what I need to tell my parents that I've got a job so I can leave school now and then I can go surfing.
1: Did you no. ever want to be, like, is that what you wanted to yeah, do that's all career? I.
0: Yeah, that's all I wanted to do.
1: Were you ever good enough to almost? Yeah, I competed.
0: I, well, well not, probably not for a career because back then, it's only recently that the guys have started making big dough and yeah, making money. Yeah. Um, but back then, I, you know, you'd win a T-shirt and a hat for a competition <laughs> and a little trophy. Yeah. So I was competing and I was, you know, I was going, okay, yeah. um, I wasn't a, you know, going to be an international superstar, but but back then there was no money in it. You know, mm-hmm. even the top guys were still uh, carpenters and, and plumbers and stuff and they'd just go surfing on the weekends. So certainly back in my day, it was like I had a cupboard full of free T-shirts, that said, you know, the Coca-Cola <laughs> Northern Beaches Championship, something so.
1: So tell me... Um, um, about the the move because when you started as a copy boy 15 when you start working for
0: Sydney Morning yep, Herald yep.
1: and then at 17 you're the youngest newsreader in Australia <laughs> well
0: I started at chan- <laughs> <laughs>
1: like how does that how does that work well, from I, emptying ashtrays yeah, right, to reading right, right. the
0: news so what I did was I was an overnight copy boy and I was in police rounds and you'd sit there in front of a bank of 20 speakers listening for police radio calls and fire brigade calls, um, and then you'd call the journalists up and send them to these disasters or stories. And a, uh, I was asleep in there one night, as I would normally sleep, <laughs> and uh, one of the journos from the Sydney Morning Herald came in and said, you live in Bondi, don't you? And I said, yeah. And he said, look, there's this story I've just written about Bondi crime, and he was a young guy, and he said, why don't you rewrite this for your local paper and start to write because I can see all you do in here is sleep.
1: That's (laughs) kind of cool that that guy came in and said that. So
0: I rewrote this story about Bondi crime and driving home to the surf that day, I put it in an envelope um, and slid it under the door of a newspaper called the Bondi Spectator. Mm. And the Bondi Spectator at the time was like just bowling notes and RSL meat tray winners and stuff. They didn't have a news round as such. Mm. So I'd slipped this under with a note saying, Dear Editor, thinking about getting into journalism... Please let me know what you think of this story, mm. and that was on a Tuesday. On a Thursday, the Bondi Spectator comes out with a front page Bondi crime spree by Larry Edmure. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, "Whoa!" And all my mates are ringing up, and it's like, whoa, you're on the you know." So it was like, "Wow," that's the ego thing. I thought, "That's kind of cool." This is good, yeah, yeah. So I did that every week for a year. They what, just
1: ha- pinched stories that no, were going well, I, on I, I, and then wrote them? I started sourcing my own. <laughs> okay, yeah. um,
0: But I, I did that every week for a year, slipped a, a, a story under the door of this guy. I never met him. No. I never spoke to him. I never got a cent.
1: This is great. Right.
0: So for a year, so no money, never met the guy because I didn't want him to see that I was a kid.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was
0: 15 or 16. And because they didn't have a reporter or journalist, like the stories would always be page one or page two or three. So I ended up with this scrapbook of stories that made me look like a journalist, (laughs) that I wasn't. I was a high school dropout who couldn't read or write or, you know, like anything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I now look like a journalist because news organisations looked for this scrapbook. I was better placed to look for a job than a lot of people coming out of university with degrees back in the day in communications and media because they didn't have printed stuff or published stuff. So I went out to Channel 7 one day and asked for a job. They're out at Epping. And I thought, well, I'm a journalist now. Yeah, of course <laughs> you I've, are. Because I've been writing for the Bombo Spectator. <laughs> yeah. And I was told to, you know, to piss off pretty mm. much. And then I went travelling for a few months and came back. And it was Christmas Eve. And I thought, I'm going to go back out to Channel 7 again with my scrapbook. Mm. Christmas around a newsroom is a very yes. quiet time.
1: Yes. You are good with your timing. Right. Yeah. So, and
0: that's and I look back at my career and go, it's still just been all luck been and timing. timing. You yeah. know, there's no other possible reason <laughs> certainly no skill or talent involved but I went back out there there was two journos there there was two had called in sick and I said look I came in a few months ago guy told me to come back one time so I thought you know do you need any help can I hang around and this is where it turned this was the day that it, it flicked so the chief of staff said look that crew there is going to King's Cross to do a story on how homeless people spend Christmas Eve mm. right And it was an old character called Ricky May. And he was on all the Tonight Shows and the Midday Shows. And he was a fantastic singer and great performer in the day. Anyone a little bit older than you would know of Ricky May. Mm. So we arrived. And I'm just the kid in the back of the car, like carrying tripods, right? And I'd had a discussion with the cameraman on the way in saying, you know, I want to be a journo and stuff like that. So we jumped out of the car. And Ricky May sort of looked at us getting out of the car. And he came over and he said, you don't know what the hell you're doing, do you? And I went, no. And he said, just follow me. And it was the first time and the only time in my thirty years in television, more, mm. where it just the story just made itself. Mm. It was quite incredible. So we were, we followed Ricky May around. He's singing to these old homeless people. He's giving them food. He's talking to them. Um, there's tears. There's laughter. There's everything that you would ever want in a news story yeah. on Christmas Eve. I didn't have to do anything.
1: Was this a lot to do with his skill in getting the right everything. shots and yeah, everything. he knew what to do. It was, it was everything? Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: I, I didn't have to do anything because I was. And even there on official business yeah and then at the end of that the cameraman said to me look why don't you do a, what we call a stand-up which is why don't you stand there with Ricky May singing to the guys behind you and say uh, you know say something about today so I just stood there and went these men and women uh, do it tough for you they couldn't possibly hope for a better day than today courtesy of Ricky May Larry Emder reporting Seven Nightly News or whatever it was, right? Yay! So I got back and, uh, and this is all happening very quickly because yeah, yeah, yeah. they were short-staffed and it, was, it ended up being a fantastic story. Nothing that I did. Mm. It just magically Worked. happened. And then that That went to air that night. It was on TV. So I was only meant to be there as a schlepper, carrying the tripod and helping out and watching things go. But because they were short-staffed, that went on TV. They asked me to do two lines of voiceover. So I went into the voiceover booth. I didn't like And and here we are at King's Cross. (laughs) And I wish I had a copy of it. It was a beautiful story. Through nothing I did. The editor Mm. did a great job. Mm. The cameraman did a great job. And Ricky May was the de facto producer and just made it happen. And on the strength of that, they invited me back the next day.
1: So if, if that guy hadn't walked in and said, redo my story... You, do you think you would have – were you starting to get a sense that you wanted to do that There was probably
0: – you know, there was an interest. There was a bunch of young guys in there who were journalists and mm. I was, like, hanging out with them and they would um, sneak me into the journalist club in 6 o'clock in the morning, we'd drink beer and because that's how they would finish their night shift. Mm-hmm. So, look, there was probably uh, some momentum building to – you know, I was hanging out with these people. I was understanding what they were seeing. That they were making money and – Um, Meeting girls at the pub because their name was in the paper, (laughs) so there was you know probably an idea that maybe you know it was brewing. Mm. I didn't know how it was going to happen, and I wasn't dedicated to it because I knew at the same time it's writing and and reading, and Mm. I'd failed in both of those miserably. So I was very mindful of a person like that heading into a trade like journalism was a ridiculous proposition
1: but you obviously know how to tell a story we tell a story yeah. i think that's, and what that's the cri- that's and I, at the base and I, and, I,
0: and I think that's what came out early in those early days and i and and looking back again that was luck you know that was luck that i had the ricky may story because mm. that could have ended Terribly. it could have gone nowhere very yeah. quickly mm. like i could have actually spent that day carrying the tripod yeah. <laughs> which is what i was supposed to do yeah yeah and gone back and the channel seven guy would have said hope you enjoyed your time here by.
1: So with, then was it just sort of one story after the next yeah, until yeah. you were reading su- the news? so it was
0: summer, it was Christmas, it was my time of year, it was like I was the beach guy and mm-hmm. I knew what though, you know, so we'd do stuff in the national park one day and then another Christmassy story. Everything lightens up quite a bit over Christmas in the, mm. oh it did then certainly, in the news gathering department, it was all nice happy summer stories. Yeah. And so I, I ended up after two or three weeks as a sort of permanent member of the the reporting team.
1: I guess one of the interesting things about this kind of career is that you – it's not like it ever goes from I'm sitting in front of the TV watching it to tomorrow I'm on the TV doing something like there's Always those little incremental steps mm. that mean that by the time that you're reading an auto queue yeah. there have been all these little things that have made that kind of normal and the next logical step. Sure. But during that whole process – were you kind of thinking, oh, this is not? Or were you still like every day, kind of turning around, going, "What is what is happening here? Like, is this, or was it just normal?"
0: That's a really interesting question. I think it happened very quickly, mm. and I wasn't young and clever. I was young, just young and stupid and confident and up myself, and <laughs> you know, so I was <laughs> yeah. like, "Cool, I'm on the telly," and yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it was. Going well at the pub on Friday night, meeting girls, and it was like it's like because I'm on telly, um, (laughs) and my mates and we started to get you know free drinks at pubs because I was on telly. telly, Like it was like. School, cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it was young, stupid stuff, really. And if I look back at it, and I could have been much better at it and focused on it a lot, but I was 17 and 18. And
1: but I guess you're playing with the bank's money then, because in some ways, it's not mm. like you've, w- you've waited your whole life to get into this game and then all of a sudden you get the job. Like you kind of fall into it, and then so yeah. everything's a bit of a bonus. And when sure. you're young and you're like. And it was oh, fun. Like yeah, it was really course. fun. Mm. It
0: was really exciting. And we found um, we were out at Epping then, and we had the chopper in the backyard, and. Mm-hmm. One of the uh, and one of the things was, uh, a lot of the older journo's didn't like flying around in the chopper all day, or they had you know the older guys that have, the political rounds and the police rounds and stuff. So I was really the the young guy that would pick up the slack um, mm. and get the jobs that the other guys didn't want. So I was in the chopper every day, which for me <laughs> yeah. was really exciting. Yeah, for course. the older guys with kids, it was like, like oh, you oh, yeah, the chopper right, again. Right, right. <sighs> so I was every day running down the chopper and yeah, you know, yeah. jumping in head first and I was having a ball and traveling around because I was the guy that could. Um, go off into the country for a couple of days because I didn't have wife and kids and stuff so Mm -hmm. I was doing, you know, I was moving around the system a lot and so it was was great fun, like I look back on those days and think that was a lot of fun.
1: So how did you make the move from news into more like variety show game show sort of stuff because that's kind of the bulk of where people remember you Right, yeah, yeah. so
0: in 19... 87. Wow. Yeah. So I'd I'd (laughs) finished – no, so I was at Channel 7 News Mm. and I was taking – I was really enjoying the creative side of writing and where you can do that in the news is really the stuff towards the end of the news. Yeah. Because as a young kid, I was seeing a lot of stuff that young kids shouldn't see. I was going out to – the triple fatal car accidents and the fires and seeing the bodies and the you know like it was it was heavy going so <clears throat> once i started to to the more lifestyle and entertainment side of the news i really enjoyed that mm. Um, Channel 10 had seen that, what I was doing, and invited me to join Good Morning Australia.
1: That's a really – is that a big leap? Like, at the time, were you experienced enough for that to not be a big leap? Or Um, am I just assuming that's a big leap?
0: No, what it was, it was actually really cool because they'd seen me doing these mini feature stories. And the invitation was, you're going to fly around the world doing feature stories. Oh, get Um, out. Uh, instead of doing one a day, you'll do one a week. Um, we've got stuff – there's stuff all over the world. Wow. Um, and it's colour.
1: That's a good gig. It was so
0: good. And I loved it. I loved it a lot. And How in long fact did we you just, do that for? It was two years. Wow. Yeah. So I was like – so if you look in modern terms, it's probably like um, maybe like a James Tobin now. or yeah, right. You know, that sort of concept where mm-hmm. you're And we got to, just this week on on the morning show, I got Mm. to go to Ipswich, to the Country Music Festival. Yep, that's why your voice is a little (laughs) hoarse. (laughs) (laughs) And it was like, yeah. But it was like, this is it. You know, I love this stuff. Getting amongst the people, having fun and doing those feature-length stories Mm. about Australia. So I had a great two years there. Now, Now, what happened then in 1988, so I joined in 1987. An American guy took over Channel Ten because it was going really badly, mm-hmm. and he came in and his solution for a failing Channel Ten was to make everything a game show. Was so that
1: because in the states that's that's just what right, worked? Right. So he right. wanted
0: it to be. He said Channel Ten's going to be the entertainment network, mm-hmm. and all we're going to do is game shows and bidding news here and there. So as a result of that, every host got a game show. Really? So you had newsreaders doing games. Oh, no. it, was, it was so bizarre. Was
1: there anyone that's working now that were, that people oh, know that had to go and do a game no, show? Was
0: not Tim Webster, Tony what Murphy? What was he hosting? What
1: was Tim hosting? Do it you would remember? have been a quiz of some sort. Oh, Tony really? Murphy was hosting something.
0: <laughs> anyway, so it was morning till night game shows. Right. And they had one shitty show left and no one to host it because they'd already recruited all the hosts. But I was the bubbly, young, fun reporter. Yeah, right? yeah. Uh, and I was also a sacrificial lamb to, to test stuff. <laughs> yeah. So they go, well, this is what – and they called me into the office and I was like – I was a reporter on, you know, a few bucks and having fun. Mm. But now it was like we've got a primetime game show – it's 7.30 on Monday night, which means it's going to launch this entire new network. So we're putting a lot of emphasis on it. Mm. Oh, and here's the pay pack. And I'm like, yes. Hell yeah. Are there models here? Sure. Yes. So it was a show called Family Double Dare, right?
1: What? Okay. I. I what was involved? You don't remember it. Don't? I don't remember no. it.
0: it was only, I'll tell you why you don't remember it. Because it was only on for one episode. No. So what happened, the whole network was lined up. There was billboards and buses and front cover of the Sunday newspapers like Channel 10 next week launches, Entertainment Central, this Mm. whole thing. And the first show to launch at 7.30 was um, Family Double Dare. Uh, So it's mum and dad and two kids (laughs) over one side and mum and dad and two kids (laughs) over the other. If you get the questions right, you go through. If you get the questions wrong, you get 60 litres of custard poured on you. (laughs) So it was was a disgraceful show. Okay, right. First question. How many F's appear in the word dolphin, right? Okay. And the mum with the red tracksuit hits the buzzer and she said, Larry, there are two F's in dolphin. <laughs> so this is during the record, the pre-record. Right. So I'm like, oh, this can't go. This show can't go on TV. <laughs> anyway, so sure enough, we were having a celebration at Channel 10 for the launch of the whole network that night as that show goes to air. Yeah. And about halfway through that show, um, I get tapped on the shoulder in the boardroom where we we're all having drinks to celebrate the launch mm. and into the boss's office. The American guy, Larry, (laughs) we can't do this to the Australian public. We're off. And that's it? That was it. Uh, They ran one more in repeat. Like the second episode we recorded like at 11 o'clock at night in a month's time. Um,
1: Were you devastated when you heard that news? Or did you kind of know when old mate said two Fs in dolphin? (laughs) Um, Well, I
0: had a bad feeling about that. (laughs) No, I didn't know. I didn't know enough about the space and I didn't Mm. know what happens in prime time. And I didn't know how they treat hosts in prime time. So I was just still a goofy reporter. But what it did... Was it took me out of reporting and put me into game shows and entertainment and audience and shiny floor and lots of cameras and lights. And I'm like, hey, I really like this. Mm. Like, it was fun.
1: Well, you, I mean, particularly because you're so good with people and that's the side of mm. those those things that you like mm. and those colour pieces, it's like there is no better space for somebody right. who is good with people than a show that is going to have people coming through all the time and you've got to be adept enough to be like, oh, I can get the yeah. best out of you whenever yeah. I've never met you before but I yeah. can play this game and do this and that was a huge part, I think, of why people fell in love with you on game shows because it's like you could see these, particularly in The Price is Right, I just remember seeing these women like run up and be so excited to meet you oh, wh- and oh, oh, what oh, oh, you, well, are you gonna be I, humble no no, <laughs> yeah, no of course i call that
0: um, white good inspired love <laughs> And the reason right, they for just that, wanted the like, if, if I okay. wasn't about to give them a double door okay. fridge, okay, all right. If I just walked past them in the street, they probably wouldn't love me. Yeah, it does. But make they you now look a lot have prettier. the opportunity to yep. win a mini fridge <laughs> or a microwave,
1: and people love me for that. Yeah, you do seem a lot more attractive when you when you come with some white goods. Right. So right. when that show finished, then you're on a contract. Then do you stay on contract, and they find you something else, or were you kind so, of warehoused?
0: Well, I was still with the morning show. Right. I mean, oh, I, so
1: you were doing this on top as well? Yeah. It uh, sorry morning
0: show still with good morning good Australia. good morning australia. Yep. so it was okay mm. and i'd found my pl- i'd found my happy place so i'm like i want to, I want to do this i don't mm-hmm. want to go on not that i was i was in good morning australia so i wasn't doing the nasty car accidents anymore but you know back at channel seven news i remember the chief of staff called me in after a particularly bad car accident i was live to the news uh it was triple fatal and it was my first live cross and I smile when I'm nervous, mm. right? and that works really well on game shows. Yeah, not on the news. Yeah. So they've crossed to me, and I'm like, uh, and it wasn't it was it was an uncomfortable, awkward, nervous smile. It wasn't a hey, happy yeah, yeah, smile, game show right. smile. Yeah, yeah. But th- I remember the chief of staff called me and he said, "Amda, look, with that nervous smile, you're only going to be able to sell Amway or be a game <laughs> show host."
1: <laughs> yeah, you can't <laughs> be right. doing that. Yeah. So it's true. so it,
0: it's not until I got to do that game show that I thought I'd like to pursue that.
1: And so was it then, after that, apart from Good Morning Australia, was it then it was Game Show Central, Larry's Our Game Show Man? Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, pretty much. Because also in that, the people who make game shows saw what they wanted to see as well Mm -hmm. in me. So it it got surprisingly busy after that, where I thought, you know, that's my first acting, that's the end of the world. It was actually I was hearing from Grundy's and Southern Star and all other people who were doing game shows because it was on and off fast enough that... Clearly, no one's ever going to remember it. Mm -hmm. But there's a guy who can stand on the shiny floor and... And wrangle, so, you know. There's uh, eight people on stage, a few hundred people in the audience, ten cameras. Like, and, and it worked out okay. Mm. So they're looking at that as an audition, I suppose. You know, if you like.
1: So where did you? Where was the next big gig? The next one about? was a thing
0: called the main event.
1: Oh my god, I remember this. Right. The main, the main yeah. event. Yeah, this is the one thing, the one show from my past right. that I can remember the theme tune. I can remember <laughs> kind of a fuzzy version of watching it. Yeah. I have no idea what it was about. I can't remember what it was right. about. Was it sort of? It's a knockout meet? Some, no, I can't remember. No, no not at
0: all. It was in a big stadium uh, and there was uh, four celebrities per team Yes, and, yeah, yeah. and it was just videos of what happens. It was bloopers. Like, yeah, it was right. Really, okay, it was, yeah, yeah. And, and there was uh, two families that we had on remote cameras at their home and we'd drive a car into their driveway at the start of the show. One family would win <laughs> the car and the other one would drive the car. Oh, away. how evil. Yeah, <laughs> cruel, right? But that was a great show and in fact that was up against 60 Minutes on the Sunday night.
1: I remember that being huge. I remember watching it. Was it was big. Yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. And
0: it was the first Channel Seven show to beat sixty minutes um, back right. in the day, so it was quite a th- it was quite a cool thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, it was a great thing to be involved in because it was big, big. You know, and the budgets were different, and it was exciting, and I loved it. I loved it um, running out with the the pom pom, the cheer squad girls every week. Yeah, and it was yeah, like, yeah. Wow, this is TV. <laughs> and big celebrities would come in, and mm. um, great panels. You know, like the aggro. And, yeah, yeah, <laughs> and yeah. We'd have all the, the Channel Seven stars, and all the visiting celebrities would come in as well. So it was, it was fun. That went mm. for a couple of years.
1: Yeah, I remember that show. And then was it – when did you move to Price?
0: Then Price after that. And there were some bits in the middle. I did some radio and bits of this and bits of that. And while I was uh, there at seven, I uh, filled in for the Tonight Show, the Visard Tonight Live with oh, yeah, Steve Visard. Yep. And that was the thing that stuck with me. That's something I, you know, always wanted to pursue at another time. And then Price. Then Price started.
1: Were you, in terms of like profile and the – was was the main event the sort of thing that's, that changed things for you? Yeah. Yeah. And then from Price it yep. was like you were yep. – Yeah.
0: Yeah. Main event was uh, the biggest, newest, most successful game show in a long, long time. Mm. Um, and I was the goofball doing it. So it, it, it finished up my reporting days. It started me on a path of game show bimbo guy. Um, and it was great. You know, it was great. And all I had to do was – Smile and laugh and have fun and ask questions. So it was really cool.
1: Have you had an unbroken run since that point in terms of employment, show to show to show?
0: You know, close. Yeah. Not 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 necessarily TV show to TV show, but, but work I've to gone work, work, to work. work to work to work. Yeah, and I've gone and and I've been really lucky too. I've gone from you know from ten to seven to nine to ten to nine to seven to nine yeah. to ten to seven. A lot of people don't get that opportunity. No, no, that's yeah.
1: very rare. And also mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure you must be the only person to ever host a TV show on two networks at once. Because against myself. Against yourself yeah. because when they cancelled Price, they were still running reruns when you were hosting Wheel of Fortune. Wheel of Fortune, Fortune. <laughs>
0: that's right,
1: that's right. So th- I don't reckon 10, there'd be another and person I, on Then I've
0: done a, a special in between Price is Right and Wheel of Fortune. Mm. Price is Right was on nine. I took a break came back to wheel of fortune but in that break i hosted something for channel 10 it was some big beauty contest on the gold coast and so in one week in fact in one night i was on hosting prices right on channel nine Wheel of Fortune, which was against Prices Right on Channel Seven, <laughs> and then at seven thirty that night on Channel Ten was my beauty pageant from the year before.
1: Wow!
0: Yeah, so I think I'm the only person who heard done that. In the, that was all in the same day. Yeah, because yeah. so,
1: m- most people stick to one network and that's it. But right, that's all. Right. That's I mean, that's what we're, That's what most of us freelancers do. We're like yeah, yeah. we'll work for whoever will take yeah, us. But to yeah. be contracted doing actual shows for people, yeah. Do you, what? What's it like? Because I'm I'm sure like you have gone from being lucky enough to sort of um, I suppose leapfrog on the lily pads um, from one yeah. job to another but you know were there any particular shows there that sort of got axed that really like get to you is it is it tough when a show gets axed or i think
0: like- I, I learned early and you know family double Dare was like the best possible example of how bad this business can be yeah and i learned that early So I'm not one of those people who was a first first instance around for 10 years and then got axed and it wasn't that. It was like, hey, I'm doing a game show. Hey, it's been axed. Front page of the paper, like it was a horrible time Mm. for me. But I learned that then. So anything after that was kind of like, okay, this is the business. So I'll go into all of these shows, including the morning show. Mm. But Price is Right, all of them, you just go into them going, we'll work it. As it comes up, and then when it finishes, it finishes, and that's that's the nature of any job, I suppose. Mm. But yeah, there's been some disasters since then too. You know, I'm also for all the good stuff we're talking about. I'm also the most axed person in TV. Are you really? Absolutely, absolutely. That's
1: so bizarre because I think mm. if you asked anybody, they would never <laughs> think that. Because you, in my mind, are like Teflon Larry. Like you know, <laughs> there are very few people. If that is really the case, like I think even if you have been part of some stinkers, you're the type of person that can walk out of a stinker right. for breathing fresh, you know, like every, nobody yeah. remembers that Larry was a part of it. They yeah. just remember how bad the show was and then you just go on to another well, sort of incarnation. <laughs> that's very
0: kind of you. Oh, Teflon, Larry, I <laughs> um, But for all those shows we're talking about, they've all been axed. Mm. Right? I added it up one time. Someone asked me one time for an article and I think it was 24 different shows. have been axed? Yeah. Well, everything I've hosted has been axed. Yeah, right. Except, <laughs> except you know, there's one here now. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I, and this is and it's all led to this. So I'm so grateful that it's everything I've learned along the way mm. means I can sit on the morning show couch and go, okay, I know what to do now. Yeah, of course. Um, even if 60 litres of custard's being poured <laughs> on me, I know what to do. <laughs> uh, that's the worst idea yeah, for yeah, yeah, a show
1: yeah. I've ever heard.
0: But <laughs> all of the Everything. I mean, Price is Right, Wheel of Fortune, Cash Bonanza, Main Event, uh, all of them, Celebrity Dog School, Celebrity Splash. Like mm. everything's – you know, everything comes to an end and that means, uh, you know, that's potentially you're out of work and you can't pay the bills and all that sort of stuff. So – um, but there's
1: very few of those shows that can go forever, you know. Like if if you sure. if you host some of those things, like morning shows and stuff are a bit of an exception because you're going to assume mm. that networks are always going to have some version of a morning show mm-hmm. on forever and ever. But, you know, in ter- if something's like a certain game show or a certain show, yeah. so th- like everything has a time limit that's eventually. Right. So you're always going to be eventually the guy that's on the show that gets axed because I can't right. go forever.
0: That's right. So if you add up all of those things that I've done and mm. they've all been axed, that makes me the – Most acts (laughs) the
1: biggest loser. What over the years, because I I often think about (laughs) media as, you know, that weird thing where in a week sometimes we really can get to do 5, 10, 15, 20 things that people would have on their I want to do this before I die bucket list. Sure. And it is your normal nine to five, you know, meeting celebrities, going and doing things. Is there any one thing over the years that maybe you said like hosting Steve Visard's show was a big thing. Was there anything in particular that stands out as like that was just a standout moment
0: there's been lots but and for different reasons mm. you know so the tonight show stuff was great um a year ago we did a, a telethon here for um for ronald mcdonald house that i was fortunate enough to host the whole flight. Th- like we did it as a marathon thing mm. you know that was fantastic to be involved in something like that i went to the olympics in 88 so lots of different things and then here on the morning show we get to meet weekly as or sometimes daily people who you know, I call my kids and, and they're like, what? Wow. Yeah. Wow.
1: But, well, I guess we're talking about celebrities here, right? And mm. there is every single celebrity that comes into town comes on the morning show, so you get to interview them all. Right. Having worked in radio for years, we, you know, you get the same thing, the revolving door of celebrities. Sure. And I tell you it's the one thing that I used to lo- look forward to the least. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because it is not like you're sitting down with someone who's like let's have a wine and a cheese board yeah, yeah. and lo- yeah. like it's just like shoot next. the shit. Yeah, yeah. You know, they just yeah. immediately say, the, the the times that you get something out of them are mm. often very rare. Sometimes sure. you're like I feel you know you you're expecting it to be rubbish and then if they just say hello mm. you're mm. like oh my god it was amazing. Yeah, 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 right. They're the yeah, nicest person so ever. True. Do that's you so do you find those cuz I find yeah. those the hard work yeah. of this job.
0: Yeah. Yes, that's mm. right. And we go into it knowing that and you're right anything above and beyond that is a bonus but what we find generally is and maybe it's different with the radio i don't know Mm. but generally when they get into that studio and there's lights camera there's crew and if they're a performer generally they perform yeah um yeah and then at the same time i've been around long enough to know that if they're not performing that that's also fabulous television as well yeah
1: Fabulous, (laughs) Fabulous too, <laughs> yeah, right? like yeah. If,
0: if someone you uh, you really admire and you're really excited about meeting, and they're just. Dying a natural death. I'm happy to facilitate that (laughs) in the name of good TV. I
1: think that you're absolutely right, though, about the camera, lights, camera, action Mm. element of it. I think you know, there's there's still you know, obviously, if you come into a professional radio studio, that's one thing. But there's something I think that everybody across the world understands about the power of morning television. Yeah, it's big in the states. It's bigger. You know, there's no there's nowhere where morning television isn't the place where everybody sort of goes. So for them to turn up here, I think they immediately kind of know, like, okay, Australia is a small smaller market than Australia, than America is, but this is mm. the big time here. Like mm. this is – so mm-hmm. I need to add a bit of pizzazz, whereas maybe when you come into a radio studio, you're just like, you know, we're getting the dregs. We never – you get them early in the morning. <laughs> yeah, right, right, we get them in wait. the afternoon <laughs> where they're like, oh, cannot be bothered doing another one of these annoying things. What about – do you ever get negative feedback or do you – Oh, are you yeah, pretty, of course. Really? I can't imagine that anybody no, would course, dislike
0: you. of course. On yeah. social
1: media or do, do people – Sure.
0: Yeah, mm, yeah, that yeah. surprises people. Me. Um, and now with social media, it's like, it's brutal. Like, mm. You know straight away. Um, Do you
1: like that aspect of the business, the social media side?
0: Look, it's good to have contact. I mm. think we have a better. Un- I have a better understanding of what people like and don't like now. I-
1: don't you miss the days of the locked bag? Yeah, you know, when yes. people are right into so, the yeah. locked bag. Well, of course,
0: secure- back in the day in is Right, you know, security would open up letters and not pass them on if they were anything but beautiful.
1: Oh, really? Sure. Yeah, right. Sure. So you just get in the echo chamber of yeah, I, am I am fabulous. fabulous. <laughs> I'm
0: fabulous in the back of my stretch limo <laughs> and loving it. But um, you know, I don't mind it. It's because I would have a say. It's like. You know, goggle box. It's like it's important. We understand what people think mm. about us. It's crucial, I suppose, that we don't live in that bubble anymore. Mm. But you've got to understand how to manage that as well. And for me, my you know my fallback is I've been doing this for so long now, and if that's what people think, then yeah, of course, I, you know, I can't change that. Now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But generally speaking, it's nice. Like I've just been to this country music festival, surrounded by you know fifteen thousand. Morning show fans after ten beers, mm. um, and everyone's saying nice things. You yeah, know what I mean? Course. Like, so it's actually that puts you in a good space. Yeah. It's like, okay, people, you know, people remember Price is Right, people remember Main Event, people want to talk about this, and people saw the morning show the day before. And yeah. So it's yeah. generally, generally nice. If I find myself at, at a pub at two in the morning, I'm going to get hammered. You know, because <laughs> that's when people yeah. d- decide to be unnice. You're nice. a dick. Hey. You <laughs> are a dick.
1: Yeah. What do you think? How do you think? And we're coming to the end now, so we can uh, we can stop commandeering this office. How do you think the industry's changed over the years? Is there anything that stands out? Oh,
0: significant, significant mm. changes. Firstly, there's um, there's more outlets. I think uh, social media has changed things a lot, particularly with what we do. You know, Morning Show is infotainment. We're heavy on the entertainment side mm. of things. We will get as much from Twitter and Insta and Snapchat, wherever they go, uh, as we do from You know, any other news sources. The whole paparazzi concept has changed everything about how we gather.
1: Do you get papped?
0: Well, the funny story is that one of the, uh, well, I have done, uh, but one of, the, one, of our, one of our regular contributors uh, who works at the Sydney Morning Herald said to me one day, he said, Larry, they're trying to sell photos of you again, but I'm, I'm sad to say no one wants to buy them. <laughs> I don't think I'm anything. Like, I, I don't think I'm anything. No. You know I mean? Occasionally I'll get pap with, the last great pap shot, and it's my favourite shot of us ever, was uh, Sylvia and I were walking. Um, Out, we just had a coffee at Rose Bay mm. and we're walking. And I had my hand, hand on her arm, I saw and, them <laughs> and the paparazzi. And I turned around, I went, Really? You just took that photo? Yeah, and that, that was a big photo. And it was like, Great.
1: I wondered whether you know, you'd seen them and you'd done that because that seemed yeah, like right. cheeky Larry. Yeah, like yeah, you'd yeah, seen yeah, them a, and you're going, You know what? I'm just going to give them a little, bit, a little of bit
0: of, of that. <laughs> but um, no, look, I don't think I'm. I'm of any particular value to anybody mm. like that. No. But sometimes,
1: I mean, that, I think that's a great thing. You know, if you can have sure. the career, but you don't sure. have to worry about going to the shops in your in your tracky pants sure. and having somebody jumping out from a bush yeah, and taking yeah. a photo. Yeah. Like,
0: I, I'm not, I'm not. a
1: rubbish part of life, yeah, yeah. you know? It's like, can't I just have the job that I enjoy and like, and just go home and just but, be done You with
0: know, it? I, you know, I hear that a lot too, and we hear it from. The American stars a lot. Like I want to go to Starbucks in my tracky decks, but you know, if you're going to take your thirty million bucks for a movie, <laughs> yeah, and you're going to live gotta... in your fifteen million dollar Bel Air mansion and drive your drop Bentley around, then That's it. you can't just turn that stuff on and off. Mm. And we understand from we've had a couple of paparazzi on the show, and um they'll say, you know, a lot of the celebs line this stuff up as well of to course, suit them. Of course, so you can't go. I'm going to be there with my kids, yeah, but then don't. Get me walking out of the shopping centre. It doesn't mm. work that way.
1: Were well, you just on the phone going, "I'm going to be outside Rose Bay with yeah. my hand on my yeah, wife's yeah, yeah, ass yeah, yeah, at 10:45"? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Be <laughs> there, yeah. <laughs> I thought <Thankfully>, so.
0: <laughs> thankfully, that's usually where my hand is, yeah, so it wasn't course. even a big story. <laughs> of course. Luckily, it was my wife.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's. Bit, oh, that could have been trouble. Um, what do you think is the best and the worst part of the business?
0: The the best part is the variety. Every day mm, is different. completely different. And that's exciting. You know, the live aspect of what we do is fabulous. And I think that comes across. The engagement with the audience is like okay we're having a good day so you know larry and kylie are having a good day so that's normal relationship and well larry and kylie are bickering a bit so that's normal relationship mm-hmm. so i think there's an honesty with what's happening now the you know the game show stuff while well, that's very honest as well there's a performance to it and there's a of course up and here i am happy guy i've got a, i've got a headache and a sore back but i'm still happy and giving <laughs> yeah w- and coupling women who want fridges um, <laughs> yeah. but i think that's i think that's the best thing about you know certainly where i'm at now is this is a very honest it's a great team and it's it's a great show. We're in our 10th year now. That's It's a crazy. long time in That's TV, right? That's a long right? time. Like a long time. And so touch wood... Um, and it's all going really well so that's a good and bit and
1: great hours can I just say like the thing about breakfast TV and breakfast radio that I don't like is that they yes they're the they're great yeah. gig but the hours suck yeah. but you are on it mwah like, no, no, you good. can still be a, like you get up early but you're not getting yeah. up crazy early no no, no it's fine doing what you love doing yeah. the same kind of everyday is different sort of thing without yeah. having to feel like a zombie all the time no
0: it's great and now with my new uh, haircut I'm in hair and makeup in about four minutes flat oh this is the great so, thing yeah I'm, I'm saying to Sylvie we should have more kids like this is we've got heaps Time it's great it's great fun and then I'm home now like if you went bogging down my day um, I'd be down at the beach already so it's, I do feel very blessed with this like yeah. and this is a this is a great show the team's fantastic and everyone gets it um, and uh, and that's that's the good bit the bad bit. Um, I don't know. I suppose now with social you're judged. You know, everyone wants to have a say and a dig and I think that's added pressure. I'm okay with it. It's water off a duck's back for me. I hosted Family Double Dare and Celebrity Splash. And, and, don't forget celebrity, celebrity Dog School. Celebrity saw. Dog School. Like no <laughs> one can say. And I think that's tough. And, you know, that's toughened yeah, me to be I'm such a tough old bit of shit now. <laughs> There's not much anyone can say that I haven't said of myself at a corporate gig in front of an audience. Like I'm the, I'm the only guy that I make fun of when I'm on stage
1: but that's really important I think and I think a lot of that comes down to having been like you've done your time you've done Mm. a lot of stuff it's not like you've come on here I think a lot of people are mortally wounded that don't have those decades of experience and coming on and kind of going oh god I'm going to get found out here but you've done enough now where you can Mm. go you know what I think I've got this pretty down.
0: Yeah. Like,
1: yeah. you know, you can come at me, but I know I've, I'm coming from a good place yeah, and I know yeah. what I'm doing. So yeah, yeah. you can't really and lose And my sleeper. thing, you know,
0: I can always sit back and read those tweets, always sit back and go, okay, well, you just come in tomorrow and just host two and a half yes. hours of live TV and I'll just go to the beach.
1: Exactly. You exactly. Know?
0: So there's bad, there's the probably added attention along the way. But as I said, I know some people that gets some people down, but – it's it's okay with me. Mm. A wise old TV exec once said to me, it's when people aren't recognizing you that you've got a problem. <laughs> yeah, so that's while people true. are coming up to you in the pub and in the street and in the shops and going, "Hey, love your show," or "Hey, you're a wanker," whatever like yeah. that. At least they know know who you are, who you are and what you do. And that and that in this business is what they call brand equity and it's people people know you. Mm. So hopefully they come on that right, you know, they're right with you.
1: Mm. All right, final five questions and okay. then you get to go to the beach. <laughs> okay. All right, your biggest regret? could be a job you took, a job you didn't take, you could have no regrets. Look, I
0: could yeah, I you know what? As a I'm 53 this year and it's time for me to, you know, to look back and go the things that I've said in the past that I regret, I don't, because they all have led to one thing after the other after the other and here, mm-hmm. here now. If the main event was still going, I wouldn't have got to do Prices Right mm. if, if if Family Double Dare was still going. I wouldn't have got to do Wheel uh, of Fortune, Prices Right, and most importantly, the Morning Show. Yeah. If if Prices Right was still going, I wouldn't have got to do Tonight Show and the Morning Show and Dancing with the Stars. You mm. know, if I didn't do Dancing with the Stars, I would have got well. Forget that <laughs> bad example. Do you know what I mean? So yes, of so course. I, I, probably as a younger man, I would have looked back and gone, "I wish I didn't do Celebrity Dog School." But Celebrity Dog School was a fun little thing to do. Celebrity Splash, which people – I love, I tell jokes about Celebrity Splash when I'm in front of an audience. Mm. But Kylie and I hosted a show with 2,000 people in the audience and 20 cameras. So from an experiential point of view, like there's not many hosts that get to do – not many TV yes. hosts get to do that. So when they call me up to ask me to do something like that again or they're looking for a host who can do 2,000 audience – I could do that because I did it in with Cash Bonanza. Mm. You know, so it's like but I think it all I'll, equals, it all adds up. Of
1: course, know? and I think when you're doing those little independent gigs like I saw a really horrible piece the other day about Rove's new show doing uh, hosting on the ABC doing that's about Doctor Who going, "Oh, what a fall from grace." And I thought, "Are you kidding me? Hosting a show about a topic that you're interested right. in right. on a pet it doesn't have to have 7 million viewers. You don't yeah. have to be earning $10 million for it. Like when you're a performer and you've done enough that you know what you're doing, right. those kind of gigs are fabulous. You yes. think I it's often, so true. I often think it's people outside of that and, and the, the, the celebrity kind of um, uh, journalism sort of side of things gets mm. a little bit bitter I think sometimes mm-hmm. and they want to tear you to shreds. And you go, well, hang on a second. Okay, so it's not Shakespeare yeah. but we're, for, for every week we're going out and doing this really fun gig where we're like, oh, my God, this is really yeah. – like what an interesting show yeah. – what in- interesting characters to talk to. So, from a performer's perspective, you go. There's so much in this that mm. you know you don't measure it. Like, well, what does this look like from the outside no, looking no. in? Because you go, this is a great fun gig. No,
0: and we've got to remember. Like, I'm a TV host, so I host TV. Yeah. Uh, and a TV critic is a TV critic. critic yeah. So that's the job. You mm. know, I've never begrudged anybody who's written any. I've done some shit. <laughs> um, and I, t- you know, I knew, I knew when I was hosting Celebrity Dog School how bad that was. But it was getting my kids through school, That's and it, it. was m- and it was filling in the gaps, mm. you know. And um, and so when I read that in the paper that this is the worst piece of television in the history of mm-hmm. television, then I'm like. I know that.
1: Yeah, yeah. But I didn't I didn't turn up and say, this is the thing that I think is amazing. Like, I'm just standing out. No, right. I'm the f- guy at the front of it, you right, know, right, going, right, right. this is my job yeah. and I'm keeping the balls up in the air. Yeah, and
0: Sylvie wants a new kitchen, so what do you want me to do? <laughs> yeah.
1: What about your dream gig? I'm going to say that I reckon it's a late night Larry star show.
0: You know, it was for a long time. Not anymore? Well, I think this is it. You know, what I'm yeah, doing yeah, here yeah. now, actually, I've come to, you know, it's, it's, you grow you know, mm. you grow and you understand things. And um, now at this age and this time of my life, I'd have to say this is kind of it, mm. really. And I say that's that, a pretty cool thing to be. Oh, able yeah, to say. and I say that with you know real honesty and positivity about it. And I I love love coming in here every day. Um, love the variety. Love the live. Mm-hmm. Um, I've worked on tonight shows, yeah. and they're a heap of fun. And I went probably went through a stage, you know, five years ago, and um, it was probably my before fifty thing, like. I really, really wanted to do a tonight show. Um, but now I just th- I think I'm, m- this is more me. You've matured. I'm ma- I've matured. I've <laughs> yeah, turned into matured. Bert and Ernie. Um, <laughs> but I just think, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm in a really comfortable place, uh, a great team, great show, and I love it and wouldn't want to upset that mm. in any way. Whereas, you know, probably pre-50 where I was trying to quickly get shit done that I'd wanted to do all my life, mm. I was like, I really want to do it tonight, Show, I really do. But then I've seen, you know, there's no appetite for that in Australia yeah, at the moment, it. and da 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 and blah, 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 blah. And I'm not a, you know, I'm not a really great businessman, and I'm not a really, I'm not a very good promoter of myself, oh, as yeah. you've probably seen. I'm not, <laughs> yeah. I'm not. Yeah. So um, that would have been on my list of things before 50. But then I realized, you know, I, I feel now it's time to count my blessings and just go, this is a great show. Mm. Um, and I really do enjoy it.
1: Is there a big idea that you've had over the years that you've wanted to get up or something that either was really bad and didn't get up or something that, you, that you've that you wanted to do that hasn't happened yet?
0: I'd like to make a movie before I die. Really? Mm. Would um, you like to write it or you want to yeah, direct? Yeah, write it maybe. Tell a story. I don't know, it just goes back to the storytelling. Yeah. Just go, you know, maybe kick some stuff around. But I don't know if I've missed that as well. That was on my pre fifty. Hit list as well, I don't just write think a, you've book, that at a book all. or a movie. Those kind um, of
1: things are like those kind of things are post 50s, yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: So that might, you know, that might be one something that doesn't take away from this. You know, there's something I can spend my afternoons doing. And stuff. Mm. So, a book a book or a movie script, I think, would be interesting. Do you you don't have fun. a memoir
1: or anything, do you? Do you?
0: No, I've been asked I by a few have. publishers over the years. Have they, have
1: they come up with any really bad names, like uh, the Price yeah, is Wrong yeah, 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 bitch, bitch. <laughs> or something? Yeah,
0: <laughs> um. So, look, there's, you know, there's a bunch of stories and everyone's doing books. So, yeah, you know, yeah. what, if someone wants to sit down with me over 20 beers and <laughs> hear my stories and <laughs> write it down. Maybe they'll bit, just yeah. turn this podcast into yeah, a book. Possibly, there you go. Uh
1: If you weren't doing this, what would you be doing? Surfing. <laughs> no. I
0: honestly had no other plan. Like, I didn't have a plan. Mm. I didn't have a plan. It would have been, it would have been a cop. I, I reckon it would have been a cop-out job. Mm. Something that would have allowed me to surf and hang out. It wouldn't have been in media. But instead, uh,
1: here you are.
0: Here we are. Well, in the, but I don't know. There's probably a better answer to that. But uh, there was no. There was nothing else. There was nothing open. No it just, burning desire. It just no. It just, and and nor was the, nor was the media. By yeah. the way, it just sort of. Happened and it snowballed and bumbled along. Then I was in it. I was in it too deep to get out.
1: Yeah, but I think there's quite a few people through that. <laughs> mm. that it's almost like a you are you have a natural ability for it. You find mm. your way into that. You are that person that's kind of sitting in the corner of the studio and they go, "My God, we need somebody to come and stand in front of the camera." And you do right. it. And you don't start You know, I think that happens for quite a few people, not mm. everybody, because there are plenty of people that have gone and this has been the great dream forever, and they've worked their way up. But I don't think there's anything wrong or shameful. Or like, oh God, I fluked my way in. It's like Paul Murray. You know, we were yeah. speaking the other week about how he was emceeing a little athletics carnival when he was 15 and then next thing you know got seen by somebody and ended up at Triple J. right, like, yeah, right, right. You know, right. and then sort of yeah. managed yeah. to get his way where he gets it. So yes, I think that happens yes. to a lot of people. Um, So despite the fact that you've fallen into it and you didn't ever plan to get into it and, and all of those kind of things, what would your advice be, to, be uh, to people who do want to get into the industry?
0: I think by example, if you were to look at, my story you'd have to go a bit of persistence Mm -hmm. a bit of faux confidence and thinking that you're better than you are (laughs) (laughs) Um, but then if you look at all those things i've said yes to some of them quite perilous like you know looking even looking now at family double dare on paper you'd have to go that's the dumbest bit of shit (laughs) i've ever seen and celebrity dog school perilous in the long run no and that's the point when i first started i was like Okay, this is kind of fun. I'm going to try and do everything in the business I can by the time I'm 30, so I can look back at age 30 and go, "Okay, I want to do that. I want to do this. Or don't want to do that. Want to, don't want to do that." So I would say be open to new ideas, and don't say no to things. Mm. Um, because if I'd said no to family double dare, I wouldn't be here with you now. If I'd said no to celebrity splash or celebrity dog school or main event or cash bonanza or, or surprise wedding or <laughs> F- very best of the world's worst drivers one two three four five, like if I said no to any of those. Yeah. I wouldn't be here doing the morning show. Exactly. So have a more global view on your on your thinking.
1: There's also something, you know, when executives or when bosses are coming to you and you are the person that keeps saying no and they they need somebody to front it. They won't keep coming back. They won't keep coming back. Now
0: it's a risky business at the same time Mm. because that's not a guaranteed path of success by any means. I know ten other game show hosts who are out of work. Yeah. So you know, and that's why I keep coming back to, to, to luck. You know, I'm not I can't say that I'm the best guy in this business. But I've been lucky the whole way. But that's been me saying yes to things, exploring new things and learning new skills along the way. Cash Bonanza taught me, you know, like to stand on, in an audience of huge, huge audience and run a show as live. And that's a that's something It's a tool I can put in the toolkit mm-hmm. and bring up later on. So persistence and then a nice global sort of open mm. view. On how the career goes?
1: Um, I think that I can let you go now.
0: Good, because the boss wants her office.
1: (laughs) Can I just say, though, um, for somebody who wasn't wearing headphones this entire time, when we sat down, I almost demanded that you wear them because I was a bit bitchy because I'm a stickler for good audio quality. You have... Spectacular mic technique well, with no headphones. <laughs> I didn't have any faith in you. You said you knew how to handle it and you've done a very good job. Well, I'd like a reference for my CV <laughs> okay. on the mic technique. I'll give you one. Thank you so much, hey, great Larry. Great to see you, you, too. Thanks for listening to You've Got to Start Somewhere. Thanks. To subscribe to the podcast, check out other episodes, and keep up to date, head to You've Got to Start Somewhere.com. Howdy, keen listener. I hope you enjoyed that chat with Larry Emder. If you head to the show notes page, which you can find at You've Got to Start somewhere and if you're listening to this show after its released, just type Larry in the search bar and it'll pop up I have uh, collected a few select YouTube clips of some of Larry's earlier work and I am absolutely devastated that nothing from the Celebrity Dog School days seems to exist if you happen to have some just in your private collection for whatever reason I'm not here to judge please send it on through there's a contact page there at the website which is how you can get a hold of me uh, if you would like to create your own podcast you can always head to my podcasting course podschool.com.au where I take you through all of the steps that it takes to get your idea from inside your brain into people's earholes. so check that out and next week on the show I have today's show sports presenter Timmy Gilbert, a lover of all things schnitzel, a delightful bloke uh, who started out in regional radio like many of us do and he tells a tale of those early days when he used to around. Fang- around Goulburn in his champagne coloured Sigma. For 10 months, I couldn't fix the reverse. so I had no reverse. and I didn't have enough money to fix <laughs> it. So I had to drive going? far enough. I had to park far enough away from the car in front. I was always going forward. It was an <laughs> anecdote lie. The Sigma could only go forwards. I didn't even know it was possible for a car to run out of reverse. Yeah, <laughs> like they, they could back then. Hard to imagine him rolling around in a car like that these days, but it's a good visual. I hope you'll join me for that chat next week. I'll see you then.